0: and Breakthrough Academy. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host. So glad to be here today in the studio, ready to rock and roll. I got Daniel Honan on from Bookkeeping for Painters. And today is a great day to talk about your finances. Why? Because as you're listening to this, you are probably smack dab in the middle of, of uh, the, the slow season and you might be wondering where on earth is my next paycheck gonna come from? <laughs> I've been there too many times guys I've been in this industry a long time. I've had I've had winners where I felt good. I've had winners where I've been like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? and, and I know those conversations that you have at home where you're worried, you're concerned, you uh, don't see a path forward, and uh, you know, you make it through it, right? You make it through it. Eventually the sun comes out, the, the, the leaves on the trees start growing again, and people start painting again. And you have to start thinking to yourself, what can I do to not put myself in this position again? You owe it to your family, you owe it to your spouse, to, to just provide at least one worry-free winter. I should put that on a shirt: worry-free winter. You know what I mean? Like that—that that has to be our goal. That has to be our goal. And and every year, I you know the pendulum swings. You know when when the springtime hits and summertime hits, and and the work is plenty every episode it seems like i have is about where do i find the workers where do i find you know how do i get the work done and then you know school season starts uh things you know it gets a little crisper outside and all of a sudden where do i find the leads where do i find the leads where do I find the leads and you're in this state of panic i want you to imagine a world where busy season and slow season you weren't worrying busy season or slow season, you had enough money in the bank. Just imagine what that would look like. Imagine what it would look like to be able to just relax a little bit in the slow season. I've had a couple of those winters too, where we're feeling good. We can slow down. We can relax. We can recoup. Right? We're not always on the rat race. Well, the thing about that is that in order to get to that place, you got to know your numbers and too many of us just don't know. Them. And, and I'm, I'm 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 the first to admit that, look, my background in fine arts did not prepare me for a business world where I had to understand accounting. Now I'm taking classes, OK, I, I'm going through my managerial accounting class in uh, in, in my MBA. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm going to cross my fingers on that one. Hope that hope that keeps going. But I'll tell you what, your mind, your the, the analytical mind that that crunches the numbers and understands business finances, it is it is not natural for me. And, and chances are you got into, into this business because you're the type of person where that might actually not be too natural to you, but it's not impossible to learn. It's not impossible to learn. You can learn this stuff. You can know your numbers, and we're bringing we're bringing the heat today. All right, we're bringing we're bringing bookkeeping for painters on to talk about this topic. Before we bring them on, let's go over a couple of show notes and announcements first. If you want to listen to this via audio, of course, subscribe. Make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, where, where else? SoundCloud, okay. But if you want to watch the video portion, which you know sometimes I learn a little bit better when I see the words coming out of somebody's mouth, I recommend downloading PC Overdrive, where you get 600 hours of video content. It's 5.99 a month for non-members, but if you're a member of the PCA, which I highly rem- recommend you doing, it's free with your membership. Great added value coming from the Painting Contractors Association. Um, make sure that you check out my book, Sprint. And this time of year, let me tell you folks, I get a lot of calls to go around the country and speak about the topics that I cover in Sprint. And what I cover is product uh, productivity management, project management, um, estimating. Okay, Estimating is one where 90, 99% of the industry is doing it wrong and as a result your jobs are all over the place they're all over the place sometimes you do good sometimes you don't we cover how to estimate in sprint os uh i also have a youtube channel Craftsman and painter make sure that you subscribe plenty of great videos on there explaining our systems great stuff all because of this wonderful community that we have uh centered around the pca but really focused on you all right let's uh let's dive in this show man let's 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 bring on our guests let's talk a little bit about knowing your numbers hey daniel welcome to paint ed
1: hey how's it going Orlando? thanks for having me on
0: absolutely absolutely so, so Daniel, you guys at, at Bookkeeping for Painters, you, you service a lot of paint contractors, specifically paint contractors. And so you guys are in the numbers all the time. You are having those heart to heart conversations with contractors, especially this time of year where things are slowing down. The cash is getting tight. What is the thing that is keeping contractors up at night with regarding their numbers?
1: Yeah, I would say this particular time of year, it is the cash flow for sure. You know, we're the leads are slowing down, like you you mentioned in the intro, and there's a worry of okay, am I going to be able to cover my overhead costs as we move into the slower period? What do I what what changes do I need to make? What cash flow strategies can I use? Uh, you know, it's not a good feeling to see that that bank balance decrease month after month. So that's definitely the most uh, timely thing that folks are thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then just generally speaking, I think another big one is, is knowing what your numbers should actually look like. I think a lot of folks, uh, struggle to get that information of what, what should my numbers be? And that's, you know, part of it's personal based off your goals and what you're doing in your business. Um, but uh, it, it does help to understand what other folks have accomplished and, and and to be able to compare where you stand versus your peer, your peer group, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's a tricky balance because in this industry, I think that there are a lot of people who can have a little bit of an ego about it. And there are people who will flaunt and boast their numbers and, Uh, you know, it's, it could be a little bit of a pissing contest if, if I'm being, you know, uh, if I could be perfectly crude and honest with you, (laughs) sometimes there's that element of it. Um, sometimes we don't get the full picture. Um, but the, the, the important thing I think here is knowing how to understand and dissect where the money goes from the job, right? Because when we, um you know i think for a lot of people they they'll bid in the and and they're doing some type of bid system that is basically going to cover their labor and materials and if they're able to profit on top of the labor or profit on top of the materials then um then then they call it good but there is a question and i can imagine that there's only that there's probably uh, several Quora questions and several, you know, Google searches of, you know, how much money can I make running a painting company? Am I, am I doomed to making less than 40 grand a year or can I actually make more than this? You know? So, you know, what, what, what do we, what steps do we take to understand what is in the realm of possible with our painting company?
1: Yeah. Well, I would definitely say to that person, you know, you definitely can make a lot more than $40,000 a year. Um, You know having seen hundreds of people's financial statements um there's there's folks uh, out there that are killing it uh so there's definitely hope um but yeah great great question where where to start i think kind of the way the way that i think about it is first understand what are you actually doing in your business and then that's gonna kind of drive how much you should be making out of it as a general ballpark right so the numbers that I start with or the number I start with is what should you be making your business? If you're a passive owner, meaning that you are not in the business, if you set your business up, so if someone else is running it, what should the business just be generating in profit, like net profit? Now, if you look at average industry averages, you know, you can pull that data. It's pretty low. It's, you know, below 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh I think what's what you can accomplish, and what I've seen other folks accomplish, because we do internal benchmarking to to get this information, um, 15% seems to be like a, a a decent attainable goal. Meaning, 15% of revenue goes to the goes to the uh, the, the net profit, bottom line profit after you pay for everything, uh, to include job site uh, costs and also overhead costs. 15% is left over uh, for the passive business owner.
0: Is that, is that, um, is that EBITDA or is that net operating income or is it pure profit?
1: Uh, so that that's basically net profit before taxes. Um, so then from there, what you would, what I recommend is basically identify, okay, obviously you're the business owner. Um, now what else are you doing in your business? You're probably a lot of folks, if, if you're doing somewhere around let's say you're somewhere around a million in revenue you're probably doing uh sales still a lot of folks are still doing sales and maybe maybe some production manager, or maybe you're just hiring on a production manager so this, the sales role usually you um what you should be getting paid for that is what you would, would pay someone else to do the same thing right so typically a salesperson gets paid somewhere around eight percent um, of whatever they close so if you're the salesperson in the business and you're closing all the work um you would add eight percent to that 15 percent, so you should be making at least 23 percent in your business and then if you're the production manager as well if you're overseeing all the job sites and making sure they're getting done and scheduling all that good stuff then you should be getting what you would pay someone else to do it which would be somewhere around five to seven percent at the high end uh so we would add that on to your 23 so Uh, Let's say it was seven percent. So we we guess you now. Now we're up to thirty percent. If you're doing, if you're the business owner, if you're doing all the sales, if you're doing all the production management, um, and then you, you know, if you're still on the job site, uh, if you're a painter on the job site, depending on you're probably at least with someone helping you. But let's just say you're just on the job site by yourself. Um, Typically, we see that somewhere around thirty percent of the job they get paid the, the employee, uh, the, the, the painter on the job site. So with those numbers, you can kind of construct, um, there's also, I, I didn't mention that, like an admin person that kind of depends on the scope of what the admin's doing, but typically somewhere between two and 5% of, of revenue. Um, so first step identify your goals, I mean, sorry, identify your roles. What are you doing in your painting business? And then mm-hmm. take, take those percentages that we just went through and just add those up to, to, to identify, okay, you know, I'm the business owner, I'm the salesperson, I'm the production manager, so I should be, you know, my goal um, is 30% profitability, meaning 30% of whatever you close and produce should be going into your pocket as the business owner or reinvested into the business.
0: So, okay. so if if I'm following this correctly, what we're what we're really trying to do is we're trying to build up the 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 profitability of the of the company. So, um, you know, just just if we're using pure, um, you know, accounting terminology, you have your you know, you have your income or your total revenue coming in. And a portion of that is, of course, going to have to go towards labor. And if you if you are the one doing the labor, your portion of the of the job. And let's just say we're taking um, let's let's use a number, an easy number, a thousand dollar job, a very short job, maybe one or two days. Right. So a thousand dollars going towards labor revenue. We'll put materials aside. We'll just put that aside for a second. So if if we're going to bring in a thousand dollars, you're saying that the labor portion of that is going to be 300 yeah
1: about That's 30%. 30 35 is typically what we say 35
0: there. so 350 about three right. 350 bucks going towards the labor okay and then we have to build on top of that and we know that there's going to be a sale fee right like there's going to be uh you know a sale uh, whether that's you doing the sale or somebody else doing the sale, a portion of that job has to go towards the salesperson. How much did you say that was? It's around 8% usually. Around 8%. So that's an 80 bucks of that job going to the salesperson. Right. Cause right. 8% yep. of a thousand, dollars right. Okay. So then on top of that, you have the project management fee. How much, how much was that?
1: If I, between five and seven percent. So if we just say seven, that'd be
0: seventy. Another seventy bucks. Yeah. So that so that puts us at five hundred dollars. So half of so half of the, the cost of the job is labor, production management, and the sale, according according to your internal benchmarks that you've seen across your own customers, correct? Right. Okay. And so then on top of that, you've got the owner payout
1: is, or is there something else that I'm missing? Um, that 15, yeah, basically what's left over after paying everything else is kind of what what we call discretionary earnings. So, that that 15%, what I mentioned in the very beginning, basically after everything's paid, there's money left over for the business. And sure. as the owner, you, the owner is going to be assuming you're uh taxed as an S Corp or. At your sole proprietor, which 99% of folks are, you know, sure or, or p- partnership, it's gonna go they're gonna be taxed for it. So yeah, um that 15% got is basically it. what's left over. Yeah.
0: What's left over? So so I'm I'm adding this up and I and I haven't talked about our, our overhead expenses yet, but we've got so we add 15% that's another $150. So we're at 650 meaning that there's a remaining $350 to to basically that's your net operating income that's what you're going to run the business on right all of your expenses
1: right not including materials which you said up top um
0: yeah we we separated those out but that's you know you you, you can you can pull that in that's maybe another um you know 150 bucks 200 bucks yeah. for this job so it would make it a $1200 job total so so we've got about $350 remaining and that is um that needs to stay in the business. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That's typically what you use to, to pay for overhead costs. Um, like the, the marketing costs would be a big part of that. You know, what did it cost you to actually get that customer? Yeah. To actually
0: acquire, acquire the job. Okay. Right. And so, um, and then there's also, you know, the fact that, you know, you you're you're burning through uh, through supplies, and so you're going to have to get new brushes. You're going to have to get new equipment down the road. You you do need runway, especially in those in that slow season where you're feeling the cash crunch. Having that runway and not taking all of the money out of the business for yourself is uh, well, that's 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 just good business. You need a little bit of runway, right? Okay, so. So, what if um so here's the thing. here's here's kind of my question though. so that 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 makes sense to me. And you know those benchmarks, um, you know, from the perspective of a million dollar business, probably makes sense. Um, but does it scale down and and does it scale up? Because you know we have listeners who are doing less than five hundred thousand. We've got listeners mm-hmm. who are doing over five million. Um, do, do those, do those numbers, do they perfectly, do they scale up and down? Cause if I were, if I were trying to run a business, um, passively and I had three painters, I probably couldn't take care of my own, uh, living expenses if I was only taking 15%. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it depends on how big the business is. Well, it's just I mean,
0: three painters, right? So, so three painters, I mean, Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a smaller it's... business.
1: Right. Which Um, yeah, yeah. If you have a really small business and you're completely passive. Yeah. I I wouldn't expect you to be making too much, but, um, and and to answer your question, like, does it scale, you know, if you're a smaller painter to a larger painter for the most part, it should, because if you think about, uh, if you're starting out, um, and you're doing, you're wearing all those hats in the beginning, you're under 500 K you want to be growing your business in a way that you can get other folks to help you. So you should be hopefully pricing appropriately so that you can hire a salesperson or a production manager to help you at some point. Now, part of it's, you know, um, you you know, at what point will it make sense for someone to come on full time, you know, which usually for the first big hire is somewhere between 750 and 1 million. That's usually the production manager. Obviously you'll hire uh, painters before then. Either sub sub them out or or hire uh, employees, but kind of the big first hire is usually the production man- manager or sometimes the salesperson, depending on the what the business owner likes to do. So, uh, yeah. So from the from the beginning, having knowing these numbers really helps because you can kind of plan out how you're going to to grow the business, um, not only for what you should be pay- paying yourself, but also what you should prepare to pay other people because you know that that production manager if you know that they're going to be paid around five percent then you can plan accordingly for that first hire um when you're when you once you hit seven hundred fifty thousand and you feel the like you're you're really run ragged doing the sales and the production management uh you need some help now you have a okay a ballpark i should be paying this the the production manager somewhere around five percent or so um and hopefully you've your pricing uh, to allow for that to happen, because if you're underpricing significantly, it will be very difficult to to bring on that production manager. Which I think you said in the at the top, you know, one of the biggest issues that you've seen, and and I've definitely seen as well, is is pricing getting that right, especially in the beginning, making sure you're you're building in enough margin to, you know, not only make enough money for yourself, but also allow you to grow and to bring other folks on to help you.
0: Yeah, what I, what I think is interesting about thinking of things in, in this terms is that if you, if you are strict about it and and following the you know following the, the numbers, um, you know throughout the the year and especially as you start to grow, when you when you reach that tipping point of thinking, okay, I may be ready to hire a a, a production manager, let's say, um, if you're allocating five percent of your revenue then you know what you have in terms of a a possible salary so if you're if if we're talking five percent of uh of a million then what is that fifty thousand so you're you're talking about a fifty thousand dollar uh salary to run a million dollar company and you know at least to run the production of it and and you have to i have to ask is that is that actually enough? You know, is it, would, would I, would I be willing to take, uh, you know, that much money to, you know, to take on the production management of, of a million dollar painting company? I, I don't know that I would personally. Um, but, you know, I, I imagine that there are people out there who would. So, so I guess my question here is like, I, I think you have to be able to adapt this though. I mean, I like the idea of saying, okay, well, you know, five to 7% and keep in mind if you're the one that is wearing all those hats, every hat that you take off, that means that your take home pay is going to go down. So you have to keep that in mind. Right?
1: Right. But hopefully once you, let's just use the production manager example, hopefully once you put that hat on him, that frees you up to do some more marketing and sales to grow the business to the next level. Um, to you know in that you're not just laying back and like oh now nah, this is I got all this free time now I'm just going to hang back and yeah so you, once you make that next hire it's not time to relax you got to now get it to the next level um so yeah if you want
0: to maintain your same you know your same right. income level right exactly yeah okay. so so how do I how do we tweak this cuz cuz I I'll be you know straight with you I I don't get the sense that um you know, if if you're using industry benchmarks that are an average of all of your customers, uh, you know, my audience hears me say this quite often. When you take the average of everybody, you get you get the 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 data of nobody because it's an average, right? Um, you know, if it, and I and the example that I always use is just in painting. If you get if you take a guy and you say, um, okay, you can paint this room in in three hours, but then this other guy who's less experienced can paint it in uh, you know, let's say seven hours. You take the average of the two. That's five. Well, which one of them is going to paint it in five hours? Neither of them, right? Mm-hmm. Because you took the average. One can do it in three. One can do it in seven. So, so how, we we we're going to have to adapt these these numbers and benchmarks to our to our individual circumstance. How do we do that? How do we go through our own numbers and our own data to figure out exactly? What we need to set as our own benchmarks. I'm okay with using kind of the the average as like ah oh, let's get close, mm-hmm. but at certain stages of business, you're going to have to adapt
1: this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that the starting place is what what's your goal? What do you want to What do you want to take
0: of? home? Right. Right. What What do you need to
1: to eat? <laughs> right. What What is your target? uh, either take home cash flow to owner discretionary earnings, whatever you want to call it, what do you want out of the business? And then you can kind of work backwards from there. Um, so, you know, look if you're, if you're planning for the next year and you say, okay, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars, uh, take home, you know, that's going into my bank account and to, to live off of and, and take care of my family. Okay. So what, what do you, what do you have to do to get there? Um, and you know how much so you have to probably start with okay how much revenue do you think you can attain through the current marketing that you have going that you've you know maybe the previous year you did uh four hundred thousand what was the
0: example take home you used sorry oh a hundred thousand dollars okay a
1: hundred thousand so we want to make
0: a hundred thousand dollars okay
1: yeah and uh So you want to make $100,000, let's say that your, your revenue was 400,000 last year. And this year you think it's attainable and reasonable to, to hit 500,000. So
0: So that's 20%, you gotta
1: make 20% of that 20%. So you're the business owner. So there should be, you know, hopefully 10 to 15% left over after there. And then, you know, what are your roles in the business? Are you the salesperson? that would add on, you know, get you up to so so maybe you're just the salesperson, maybe, maybe you um, have a production manager, You probably don't at this level, if you're only at 400,000. So and I don't think maybe, you
0: would need it. I, that's not enough crews. That's not enough crews in the field. To, yeah, to warrant it.
1: Yeah, it's usually like 750 or higher. that folks are starting to think about it. So yeah, um, you're probably doing production management still. So you know according to my ballpark numbers you know uh you should be profiting more than a hundred thousand. but if you're not uh the first place i would go is look at your gross profit margin mm-hmm. um because the gross profit margin is like the biggest indicator for overall profitability gross profit margin is just what's left over after you pay for your uh, your direct costs which is your direct labor painters and your direct materials the paint basically right so um if you're you're making the plan and you wanna make $100,000 and your your current, you know, profitability is a lot lower than what you think it is, I would take a look at the gross profit. If it's um, typically just like the overall average that we see, like average gross profit is 40%. So that's, you know, that's average. The top 10% of painting businesses are doing uh, around 55% or higher. So,
0: So even if you're average, Daniel, then then what what remains after the labor and the materials, you're basically saying, let's take half of that and we can keep that in the business and use it for our our marketing expenses Mm -hmm. and and other overhead costs. And we're saying take the other half and and that's what you that's what you pay yourself. Now, don't forget to save for those taxes because because this isn't we're not calculating taxes yet. Right. Right now. And, yeah. and that kills people. That That's killed me more than once. So, you know, you just got to I think a lot of people, they look at their QuickBooks, they look at that net profit at the very bottom of the mm-hmm. of the profit and loss statement and they and they think, oh, we, we did pretty good, you know, but then they look back and they're like, well, where is that money? It, it's yeah. gone. You spent it, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not in the bank. You spent it and now you have to pay for taxes so yes uh because it doesn't because it doesn't show what you owe in taxes in your in your profit and loss statement fortunately
1: yeah great point yeah this is before taxes unfortunately if you hit any level of success taxes are going to be your biggest expense so uh that is something to definitely keep in mind and that's going to be somewhat variable depending on your your income tax bracket what type of entity you are set up as um i think folks that are in this this level that we're talking about, you know, trying to hit uh, 500k,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they they uh, wait. They don't mm-hmm. evaluate what entity they're they're in, and they get hit hard with taxes, um, you know, one year because they hit got kind of to the next level, and then they got hit really hard with uh, self employment taxes, mm-hmm. which is basically when you're your sole proprietor or an LLC tax on your personal tax return an LLC disregarded entity and you as as that entity or even a partnership um, LLC tax on a partnership um, every dollar that they um, profit is taxed at the self-employment tax rate of 15.3% and then on top of that you got your your uh your tax bracket tax right so it's yeah folks around the $500,000 you know uh basically profiting over 60,000 so maybe it's the first time they made six figures then they get hit with a nasty tax bill so for for some, someone that's trying to hit uh six figures for the first time yeah don't get surprised um definitely evaluate if you're in the right uh entity usually an s corp not all the time not for every state but 95% of the time switching to being taxed as an s corp Makes sense um, for folks that are profiting over sixty thousand dollars in taxes. I mean, sorry, yeah. sixty thousand yeah. dollars in their business. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, so okay. So, so let me let me kind of review here because there's some of this is that is coming to coming to light. And and I and I go back to that question of that Google question, you know, or, or maybe that Chat GPT question of how much can I make in my painting company? You know, like how much can I actually earn? And, uh, if we go back to that $500,000 target, which is, which is pretty attainable in, in, uh, I I would say most markets, very, very small, very, very small towns. It's a little tricky, you know, but like in most markets, 500,000, pretty, pretty attainable. Um, especially if, if you're just looking for a nice lifestyle business, that's, that's going to be, Oh, how many painters would that be? Like, uh, you know, five to seven, probably. I, I would say because the everybody, everybody online always like, oh, a, pr- a painter should make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and it's like, uh, not all of them. Okay, not all of yeah. them are going to make that. This is just not, you know, this is not realistic. Okay, sometimes you you find somebody and it's like, oh wow, you made sixty thousand I mean, dollars. Luckily, I paid you thirty. You know, so so here's the thing. So if we if we try for five hundred thousand in revenue. And our our goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars in income before taxes are taken out which means that if you're if you're a sole proprietor you're gonna be living off of like 70 you <laughs> know like you're living off of significantly less right but that's let's just say that's your goal okay that means that that's going to put an additional or if you're so if you're if 20 percent you're taking and you're gross profit is forty percent that means you're gonna be running your business off of twenty percent or about eight thousand three hundred thirty three dollars a month so so what you have to ask yourself is can can I a hit the five hundred thousand dollar top line revenue and B can I keep my business expenses below eight or at or around eight thousand dollars and can I keep my labor and materials? below 60 percent if you can hit those you've got a hundred thousand dollar income
1: yeah yeah and i think that of that that eight thousand three hundred dollars per month that you you mentioned most depending on the how you're getting your 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 leads um but for for a lot of folks that are trying to use paid advertising a lot of that will probably go to marketing if you're really good at referrals and uh, getting repeat clients maybe you can do deal with less than half of that. but uh, of that eight thousand, you know um, you know that probably up to half is really going to marketing um, for for some some folks because marketing costs usually run between five and ten percent of revenue. yeah uh, so
0: so you got to be prepared to pay to pay quite a bit in the marketing. Yeah. If if unless you're really good at referrals and and stuff like that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right, all right, I'm I'm following with you. So so this is all this is all well and good. Now what's you know where I where I stick my foot in my own mouth is that well we're not going to be clearing a cool, uh you know consistent 8300 $8, dollars every month out of the year because we have a we have a slowdown right every year we have a slowdown. I, I say it's, it's like a mini recession every, you know, every nine months, you got it, right? And so um, how do we, how do we manage our finances headed into the
1: slow season?
0: And if we're here and we're struggling, what do we do while we're in it?
1: Right. Yes, yeah, great point. Uh, so this comes into cash flow management. And, uh, you know, the first thing you want to, do is, is acknowledged, like, this is a thing that's going to happen every year. Yeah. So you have to prepare for it. Um, a lot of folks like to use the profit first system sort of for this. So, uh, there's a bit, a book written by Mike McCallowitz, basically just having separate bank accounts to, um, put your money, certain, uh, types of money into different pots, basically like having a, a bank, a bank account solely for your profit solely for to pay your own taxes Uh, another bank account solely to um, pay for operating expenses another bank account solely to pay for payroll Um, so kind of separating out having multiple bank accounts so you can easily see without having to kind of analyze your financial statements you can easily see um you know how much money do I have in profit so far this year you can look in your profit uh, bank account or your uh, how much do money do I have set aside for taxes I look at my tax uh, bank account how much money do I have to uh, to run payroll I have it set aside so this basically requires that you can one kind of the first part of what we were talking about know what numbers should you be you know your your thousand dollar project we went through that example Once you close that and you get that money, you put a percentage of for profit, a percentage for taxes, a percentage for operating expenses, et cetera. And so you kind of see, okay, I have all my dollars allocated to different purposes. And so that's a, I think a lot of folks like that system because they can easily see looking at their just online banking, how much they have set aside for everything. So uh, that that might be- the, uh, well, I, so I, I, I read the book and I
0: actually like Michael McAllowitz, I like some of his other books better. Um, The the one thing that I would say about the profit first, the part that you mentioned, I like that idea of segmenting where the money goes to, because, because the principle is that if you have a small amount of money, you're going to act like it's a small amount of money. So if you, if you, in your kind of operating expense account, if you had you know, if you had $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars in it, you would probably spend as if there's a hundred thousand dollars. And mm-hmm. and this principle, he, he actually talks about in one of his other books called the toilet paper entrepreneur, where, which is kind of a crass analogy, but, but the idea is when you have um, a big, full brand new roll of toilet paper, you just, you, brrr, you pull it all. <laughs> you use a lot of toilet paper, right. but when you are down to the, the bare end, you know, you're you're being really you know careful and creative about how much you use right and so that's kind of the principle is that if you only leave a small amount of money in that you know operating account then you're less likely to spend it frivolously and mm-hmm. if you allocate and separate those things out that's the portion of profit first that i really like what what i've found difficult when i was trying to to manage it was the idea of taking those percentages and every time a check comes in, putting the percentage in. Mm-hmm. I found that to be a, a, a huge constraint on cash because what would happen is you have these expenses, sometimes you have a quarterly expense or you have an annual expense that comes in and it's due now, but you've only allocated you know, 5% of what comes in to mm-hmm. that account and so you you don't have the money for that and what what ends up happening is you you know especially if you you aren't really you know if you if you're if your take-home pay is more ambitious than it is a reality then you can put more money into accounts that you shouldn't and you can end up having cash like the cash flow problems are actually worse in that instance and then you end up transferring money from bank account to bank account <laughs> the tweak that i did for seasonal businesses, is where instead of thinking of it as I'm going to take 5% here and 10% here, 20% here and 30% here, and I put this, this, and this, I looked at it more in terms of a calendar and saying, okay, in the next two weeks, what expenses do I have coming up that need to be paid? And so I fill that first account up with those expenses. And make sure that that's in there. Right. So payroll, um, you know, any kind of subscriptions that you have, software fees coming out, your the amount that you have for your materials and, and that kind of thing, um, you know, meals and entertainment. Know how much you're going to be spending in the next two weeks and make sure you fill that up to that amount so that it's covered and you're not feeling the crunch there and then pour the remaining balance into the next thing which might be your more annual or quarterly expenses the things that are coming out a little bit further. And then once that's filled up, pour it into the next thing, which might be your, your winter um, you know, your winter fund where you want to have a little bit of a runway so that you aren't feeling the crunch in other areas. And then, and then we're filling up, you know, the profit bucket so that we're, we have plenty of money to, to come home uh, you know, to come home to. And I just, for me, you know, the, the, every detail of profit first didn't work. The, the separation, I liked that, but Mm -hmm. the way that the money was allocated, I, Mm -hmm. I just found that I needed to have a much more um, tailored approach to like what's coming out today, right. Versus Mm -hmm. what's coming out tomorrow. And I think that that is, that actually will probably segue into, um, you know, what what we really want to talk about towards the end here is that, when you're feeling that cash flow cu- crunch, the convergence on cash is is one of the biggest keys, like how quickly you get paid and how uh, how soon or how far out your your outgoing cash is going. so yeah. so can we um i mean, if you if you want to push back on my yeah. uh, uh, no, 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 right with profit first, that's fine, but
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I think it comes down to is really do you have a process in place that gives you the information you need to make decisions and does it work for you? I mean, yeah, I think that's great that you, you tailored it to your, to your business. I have uh, no qualms about that at at all. I mean, I use profit first as well and I don't abide by everything he says either, but just the general, like you said, the general idea of kind of putting different buckets is, uh, is useful. Um, It's
0: not different than the envelope system, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Exactly uh to to get it to the what you mentioned
0: strategies here for for cash flow convergence that's what we call it right in the accounting Mm -hmm. world cash flow convergence
1: yeah so the, the the first thing is is making sure your profitability is 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 good so you know um obviously that's we talked about that in the beginning you know making sure you have profit margins um but not considering that let's just look at what can you do to improve cash flow so it's basically, one way to do this is to get paid faster. And then the second way is to delay expenses or to to push them off as much as you can, um, to either to vendors or to whoever. And so the more of a, uh, a gap between where you can get paid faster and delay expenses, that improves the amount of cash that you have at any point in time. And so this is a and I'll go through some de- detailed examples. But that's the general idea when you're look, when you're looking going into a, a cash crunch time period. That's what you want to kind of try to do. So to start with the first one which is accelerate customer payments. You know, you probably take a deposit or hopefully you take a deposit for services. So um, one thing you could do going into the the slow season is maybe increase that deposit. So maybe you're only taking 20 percent deposit. Um, maybe you increase it to 40 percent for the the, the the slow period because you know it's just going to be a slower period, you need to get more cash more quickly. Um, obviously, if you're not taking a deposit, definitely take a deposit. I know California has a, some limitations on that. Take as much as you can, the 10% or uh, whatever it is per the, the rules in California. And then um, then you also have your schedule payments as well that you can work with. So if you're a residential uh, painting company, you have some control over that. Um, You might, you know, you have a deposit to get on the schedule. And then maybe when you start work, you receive a second payment and then a third payment, you know, when you finish as an option for maybe for longer term projects, or maybe you just take a 50% deposit up front, and then you take the other 50% once the job is complete. But bottom line is evaluate, um, you're getting paid quick, quickly from your customers, especially going into the, the winter. Maybe you need to increase it at least for the winter so that you can get that cash more quickly. Uh, for- yeah.
0: I, you know, some people have, um, have personal qualms with that. Like they feel weird about it. I mm-hmm. don't. Um, I, you know, you, you get burned by customers enough that, that it's just like, no, you're we're, we're going to make sure that the costs of your job are, are paid for up front. So, so I actually, have them pay for the cost of goods sold up front mm-hmm. I, I calculate that up because as long as as long as i have my labor and materials covered then i don't have to worry about the, the guys getting paid i don't have to worry about the paint store getting paid and if my guys are paid and the paint store is paid then we can stay in business you know because if because yeah. once your guys quit or the paint store says sorry we can't you know you can't buy this here anymore then you're done you can't you can't keep going. So it, you know, it doesn't matter how much you need this job or how much you, uh, you know, how much. Oh, there's th- this big job, and at the end of this job, we're gonna make a lot of money. That doesn't matter, you know. When when people are pissed at you because you're you're slow to pay, uh, you get the you get the cost of goods sold up front. Then that you just pay. You don't have to worry about it.
1: Yeah, I I, I highly agree. I think yeah, getting fifty percent deposit or somewhere around there is awesome, uh, and it's. It just makes your life a lot easier. Um, Maybe and and I've never, you know, and I recommend this a lot because it's an easy way to increase cash flow. Um, I've never had somebody come back and say this has really hurt my sales. No one's come back and ever said that to me. I don't think, you know, customer customers are as in tune or like they don't. I don't think they're going to have as much of an objection as you might think. Most. I've probably
0: I've probably had three people over the course of my career object to down payments like yeah. period and 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 they uh were not people i, I should have
1: worked with yeah yeah
0: you know yeah. they're they're a pain they're they're mm-hmm. they're a, an absolute pain
1: yeah yeah so take deposit uh i recommend 50 percent if you get it and then uh for commercial side of things, that's you, you have less control over your payment schedule if you're working under a general contractor. Basically, the biggest thing you can do is is get those invoices in as soon as work is done. The second that thing is done, submit that invoice so you can get paid as quickly as possible from them um, per their process. Yeah, you
0: um, can also you can also I mean you can negotiate you know and 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 I would not be afraid to to be a strong negotiator. One thing that you could do is uh, you could do something like. Um, uh they call it 210 net 30 so so the um basically what you would do is you would say i'll give you a 2% discount on this invoice if you pay it within 10 days otherwise it's net 30 you know mm-hmm. which is which is typically what they want they usually want a net 30 some crazy people want net 60 whatever whatever that term is fine whatever if if you can float it and and that's the game that you're in great but if you want to incentivize speed and you have to understand, you know, how the time value of money works, if if you if you if the money in your bank account is more available today at a discount than it is 30 or 60 days from now, then you would be willing to 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 make that discount. And so right. you could do a 210 net 30, 310, whatever, whatever that percentage is of the discount, whatever that second term is, that I would I would make that as an offer hey i'll give you two percent discount if you pay it within 10 days
1: mm-hmm. yeah and that that could be the difference between you making payroll and not making payroll exactly. they, you know, so yeah definitely um awesome advice there uh okay so accelerating payments f- from customers um and then then the other part of it is delaying expenses delaying cash going out as much as you can without burning bridges of course right or, or hurting your your credit um or or spending the money (laughs) like if you have the
0: money and you spend it on something else we don't want to rob peter to pay paul right yeah yeah this is this is purely lengthening your runway so that when that if that money is coming in delayed you want to be able to delay the payment of of your cost of goods sold as Mm -hmm. as long as possible that's what we're talking about here
1: yeah and and the first basic thing is getting vendor accounts with sheryl williams dun edwards your local benjamin moore store whatever the case is actually setting up a credit account with them uh just talked to a business owner the other day he was really worried about cash flow but guess what he wasn't taking a deposit and he was also didn't have a vendor account set up with sheryl williams so he was just paying it all in cash uh or with his business checking account um so don't be afraid of of, of that cr- type of credit, because that is a very inexpensive line of credit. And that's going to give you 30 days um, before any kind of interest will even be considered, so in, in most cases. So getting a vendor account with Sherwin-Williams or whoever you're doing, you're buying, purchasing paint from. Um, and then the another thing you could do is uh, get a business credit card um, if you don't have one already. And you can even lengthen the the because just to go back to our example, we said we want to um, for our deposit, we want to get our cost of goods sold up front. So if we get paid for the materials, we hold on to it, but then we put it on credit. So we're getting to keep that cash, you know, now, but we're delaying the outflow of it for 30 days. Then we can take a credit card and pay down the Sherman Williams balance. So that buys you another 30 days of interest free. Cause usually credit cards don't charge you. Interest in the first thirty days, so you just you know that just get got you sixty days where you get to held on your your uh, your materials cost, um, so that that can be huge. That's a, a long period of time to keep that money in your business. Uh, so vendor accounts extending that. What, that's- what
0: I'll also mention, you know, with if if that scares you because that scares me because I'm just you know not not disciplined enough, but it what you can also do with your vendor account. Um, especially if you if you go to Sherwin, they actually have the ability to create multiple job accounts under a single job, a single um, company account. And when you talk to your rep, if they know that you have a job like a commercial job that has a really long, you know, like it's just it's just going to be a while before you can pay this out. Mm -hmm. They can actually put all of those purchases under a single job account and negotiate the the payment terms on that account specifically so that the other the other jobs that you have going on your regular main account, they're under the same payment terms. So Sherwin Mm -hmm. is getting its money in other purchases, but just for that specific job, let's say it's a job that you know is gonna it's gonna be a two month long project and you're probably gonna get paid two more months after that, you can actually separate it and put it on its own job account. And negotiate your uh, your payment terms um, on a job by job basis, which is which is kind of convenient.
1: Oh yeah, that that's that's awesome. So if you're doing residential, commercial, you get those commercial jobs, start that sub account. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so the other the other things you can cons- can consider is the payments to your subcontractors or employees. Now for subcontractors, hopefully you have it set up a lot of folks have it set up that, you know, there's an agreement, you have your sub agreement with your, with your subcontractor that they don't get paid until you're paid. So if you have that agreement set up, um, that's great because you don't have to worry about putting out any cash until you get it from the customer. Um, now if you're using it. It's great for you. It's hard yeah. for
0: them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep so, that in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the other, scenario, you might have employees, right? And so you're likely having to pay them weekly, -weekly, bi-weekly. That's bi-weekly is usually weekly or bi-weekly is what I see. Um, Now, you can change that, right? Um, Or if you're thinking about bringing on employees you haven't yet, I would definitely recommend to err towards the size of less frequent, for the same reasons that we're talking about, you want to extend the keep hold on hold on to your cash as long as possible so um maybe bi-monthly at like mid-month in the beginning of the month starting out especially um you can always make it quicker like you can always pay your 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 folks more quickly but it's hard to make that negotiation with your employees hey going you know because of cash flow issues we have to pay you less frequently now when they're used to getting paid weekly so yeah that, well, so
0: what what i would what i would recommend on on in terms of employees because you know most of them are, are living paycheck to paycheck anyway so you, you really don't want to mess with their money you know i mean they and they're they're the ones giving the giving you the project and everything um you know they're going to be errors you know you're going to have errors and, and that's going to mess them but the thing is like you got to realize they are living paycheck to paycheck so don't mess with their money the what i what i do recommend is that your um that your pay period ends a week before the payday so so what a lot of people will do is they'll run they'll run it every two weeks but they'll end their pay period like the same day that they have to run payroll basically and that that gives you like no time to collect on the jobs that they're being paid for and so if you end the pay period uh, a week ahead of time so it ends on a friday then you have time to collect on all the work that they completed. And and that gives you about a week until, you know, well, it's not completely a week, but it's, you know, it gives you the weekend and the first few days of the of the next week to actually converge on that cash to get the payment Mm -hmm. from the customers so that on the following Friday, when you when the payroll hits that you you've given yourself, you've given the company a little bit of time to collect more money. That's that's what I would recommend.
1: Yeah, no that's that's a great recommendation um and the the, the objection of you know they live living paycheck to paycheck the in and, and this is not the first strategy that i would employ for to increase your cash flow like you should definitely do the other things first before you start decreasing the, the amount of times you're paying your employees but it has to be on the table because at the end of the day They are getting their livelihood from your business, you want to make sure your business stays in business, otherwise they will lose a job so. You have to prioritize the business over your employees, Um, we obviously want to take care of the employees, but the business has to keep going because that's how everyone's getting their livelihood so. You know, obviously, this is not the first uh, strategy you want to employ you definitely want to get your vendor accounts get your credit business credit cards do the strategy we've talked about already if it comes down to it, and you still. Are really struggling with cash flow, and you're paying your folks weekly, you might need to have a hard conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this time of year, um, when when things are slowing down, you know, one one thing that you could do, I mean, you're gonna there there might be layoffs that that might be the case. I think this is this is why a lot of people have switched to the subcontractor model, is because they feel they feel less guilty about laying off a sub as if they're, you know, not people too with families, but whatever Um, they, uh, but you know, like they lay off people. Well, you know, what you might consider preemptively is just reducing hours. Like if you know ahead of time that you're slowing down instead of, you know, scheduling people like full, you know, full day shifts, full 40 hour shifts, knowing that your, your job runway is getting short you might switch to a four day work week. You might, you know, bring some people on half days, like slow, you might have to actually slow your production down um, so that they're getting some hours um, because, you know, you, you are a business owner, like, and a business owner has responsibilities. Like you said, Daniel, you know, you have a responsibility to the business, but, but, you also have a responsibility of those people because the people are the business. I mean, a painting contracting company, uh, most of them don't have, don't have shops. Most don't, you know, most don't even have vehicles to the company's name. Uh, the business is the people. And so if, if you're not taking care of those people and, and, you know, coming together and say, Hey, look, we're slowing down. We're, we have to reduce hours. You know, that's, that's how we're going to get through this. It's going to, you know, you, you make less on, on a pay period, but you know, go go rest go you know decompress um you know recoup from the summer burnout that kind of thing but you got it you got to you got to take care of your people i just i i believe that so firmly you know you mm-hmm. got to take care of those people
1: absolutely yeah i agree too
0: yeah okay so so i i i like the i like the the narrative that we built here because you know the the, the first thing that we talked about is the fact that this time in particular, not knowing your numbers will bite you. It will bite you. But to the people who are out there making less than $50,000 a year, we've laid out a plan that even with the $500,000 business, which is pretty attainable, that you can you can have a six-figure income before taxes. we we'll lay that one out there. On a $500,000, uh, you know, revenue, easy, pretty attainable. But the seasonality it gets to us right it, it can get to us it can creep up on us and so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we have those systems in place so that we're converging on the cash quickly that we are holding as much money in the in the bank account as possible by deferring the payments that we can all while taking care of our people that's not that's not that hard at all right daniel <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. What what advice would you give to to a, a paint contractor who is kind of in the midst of struggling through this and just and just needs needs help? They need assistance. Where where should they go?
1: So yeah, if you're struggling with knowing your numbers and what they mean, or how to save in taxes, maybe you're getting hit with a uh, big tax bills, or you don't know, don't know where the cash is going you don't have a clear vision of what your finance function in your business, uh, you can definitely reach out to us at bookkeepingforpainters.com and schedule a free consultation. And uh, glad to sit down with you and, you know, go through what challenges you're facing and see if we can put something together to help you out.
0: Awesome. And, and if our contractors get this right, Daniel, what does their life look like?
1: Yeah, so... Knowing your finance function is, you know, where the cash is going, you know, your profitability, you know, your margins, you have a clear vision of where you want to go and how to get there. Uh, and it, it kind of ha- gives you a great peace of mind on, you, you know, that you have your, your finance uh, piece handled and, you, and you're making money, which is always a good thing. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Daniel, great conversation. Thanks for, for jumping into the thick of the numbers with me. Uh, I, I I believe that our audience is gonna appreciate the, the work that you've done today. Make sure that you check out Daniel with uh, Bookkeeping for Painters. Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Absolutely, thanks Toronto. have a good one.
0: All right, folks, there we have it. Daniel Honan with Bookkeeping, Painters, uh, Bookkeeping for Painters. One of our uh, uh, proud industry sponsors, we're so grateful for the work that they do to move our industry forward. Um, this is, this has been a nuts and bolts conversation. I'll tell you what, and that's important to have. It's important to have these conversations about the reality of your financials. I think a lot of people, um, in our industry, they, they talk good games. They can make you feel inadequate. They can make you feel like you're not doing enough, but here's, here's what I'll say. Um, you know, I've had some deep personal conversation with folks that are throwing up some massive numbers and when it comes down to it they're still feeling the fear they're they are not having a worry-free winter and you know i i remember a a a conversation with a with a friend i said you owe this to your wife man to to make a to make winter uh less worrisome You know like you you owe it to her and and i mean that uh, you know you gotta wake up at some point right and so you know what what i'll say is that every business owner has a number well there's two numbers they have two numbers they have the number that this is what it's going to take for me and my family to survive you know this is what it's going to take for us to eat to pay our bills to to not run ourselves crazy because we're, you know, surviving on rice and beans, but we, we go to the movies. We save a little bit of money. That I'm That's the number that I'm talking about. The number, not, not I'm barely surviving number. I'm talking about the number that it takes for you to live a healthy, stable, comfortable life. That's the first number. The second number is that number that allows you to take your life and your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations to the next level, right? That's, that's the second number. Reality is you're probably going to hit somewhere in between. And for some of you might go beyond. And there are a lot of mindset people out there that are like, go beyond, you know, work yourself to the bone. Don't stop until you're dead. You know, you can, you, you know, you can enjoy life when you're dead. Yeah. I don't believe that. You know, I, I just don't believe that, you know, I, I believe in sound financial principles, being, um, being good stewards of your money, uh, living below your means. Okay. I mean, just think about it for a second. Think about, especially you, you folks that are in the, the crazy high end houses. Think about, your customers' lives and how they think about their lawn bill. Do you know? I mean, there are people who spend thousands of dollars a month in lawn care. Oh, I couldn't imagine. I wouldn't want that life, right? All I'm saying here is this business is a vehicle to your life, right? It's it's a vehicle to, to living the life that you want. This career, it's it doesn't define you. It doesn't define everything that you're about. You are more than your work. You are more than your work. Money is an enabler. It's a tool. And and you know what? I was having a conversation with a, with a guy uh, just yesterday. Guy yesterday ran a, a, a an amazing company. An amazing company. It, it you know he him and his partner didn't work out. So he doesn't have he doesn't have that life anymore. And you know what he said to me? He said money amplifies who you already are what do you think about that money amplifies who you already are take some soul searching to think about that one okay if your motivation is make more money make sure that whoever it is amplifying that that's the person that you want to be great conversation thank you to Bookie booking for painters thank you to the PCA for producing this show. Till next time, my name is Torlando, and this is Painted. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made
1: possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit pcapainted.org.